and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Eddie McDonald, music pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Eddie for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Amen. I praise you, God. You know, of all the people on planet Earth, it is Christians who should be the most joyful. Do you agree with that? I don't think some of you believe that. <laughs> Maybe sometimes. Um, kind of. We should be the most joyful. Thank you. I'm just going to stand here and smile at you for a while until you join me. I mean it. Praise God for a young man who is moved by God's spirit to write a song in praise of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Seriously, praise God for the, 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 the young person who, who witnesses to friends and peers in the public school, in the arena where it is probably one of the most hostile places in the United States of America. Think about that. We're, we're praying for Kentuck Elementary and the, uh, the privilege that we have to minister there, but think of all of the schools across this land where the battle rages. Think of all the families we now just learned that we're privileged to, to, to be a part of ministry and, and be hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ to, to, to reach into those families with his love, families that are in crisis. Uh, by the way, I know it, that, that, that form, it, there's a little, it's dark on the, on the side there, so just turn it over and write your information there so that we can get that information. But what a, what a privilege we have to engage in that, to joyfully engage in that. Um, we, in, the, in the music, in the, in the tech um, ministries, it's always a question mark when it comes to a Sunday morning because we never, it's, 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 I'm sure you've heard this before, this is one of those places in life where it's like a box of chocolates and you just don't know what you're going to get. So, you know, Jameson and I and, 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 and Liam will walk in and we're like, I wonder, if, I wonder if there was a storm last night. I wonder if the sound's going to be out of commission. And then when I came in with, uh, with, with my, my much better half, Rachel, uh, we walk in and I see Ronnie on the platform. I'm like, Ronnie's supposed to be up there. He's down here. Something's up. Um, but God is still on the throne. And despite the, um, the, 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 the swerves, um, the, the, the pitfalls, the, the valleys that we face, God, who is still on the throne, has still called us to be joy-filled. I don't really know what's going on in your life right now, but I do know this, that once again, America is... Um, had a, a, a turn. If you're watching the news at all, I'm sure you're just as excited as I am to put a mask back on. I'm going to try it again. Right? And, and there may be things on planet Earth in your life right now that are about, you are about ready to lose your mind. 
Anybody want to testify? Can I get an amen somewhere? Some of you? Yeah, okay. Some of you are being real. Others are like, I don't want to say that. Um, <laughs> you're about ready to, to explode. If one more thing happens, you say, can I promise you something? That thing is coming. It's happening. It's going to happen. Either you just finished, you're in the midst, or it's coming around the corner. Strap in. And the question that you and I have to answer is, will I be joy-filled in the moment? Because God's commissioned us with that. Um, if you are a guest at the Tabernacle this morning or joining us online, I'm Pastor Eddie. I'm the music pastor. Um, and I am privileged to open God's word with you uh, this morning. I, I want to give a disclaimer that uh, if your feet get bruised, know this, you are in good company because mine were bruised all week. In fact, my son and I had just a grand conversation uh, doing some ministry this week, um, <laughs> and I'll share a little bit more about that as, uh, as we get into the text this morning. But we're talking about joy this morning, and, if, and as I was uh, preparing, the message title this morning is Joyful Repetition. Joyful repetition. So if you have your Bibles, turn in them to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Philippians 3, 1. And uh, we're going to spend some time with this one verse, but fear not, we're going to be looking all over the scriptures at various verses as it intersects with this theme of joy. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these very, very familiar words. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this awesome privilege to open up God's word. I thank you, Lord God, for Pastor Danny and um, his entrusting me uh, with this. I thank you for entrusting me with the rightly dividing of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to all of us through your truth. And I pray, Father, that we would not merely be hearers of your word, but doers as well. Lord, I ask that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. It was the great Yogi Berra from Major League Baseball Hall of Fame that is noted not merely for his athletic accomplishments, but probably more so for his unique use of logic and language. Um, you may remember a few phrases attributed to our good friend Yogi. Um, see if you can finish this one. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Like, that's logic. Um, sometimes, yeah, I guess. Um, a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. You wrap your mind around that one. Or how about this one? The future ain't what it used to be. Um, but when I, re, when I, when I consider the, the, the passage that we're looking at this morning in God's word, um, I can't help but think of one particular yogi-ism. It is like deja vu all over again. <laughs> and while you chew on the wisdom of that saying, don't miss an important theme 
within the scriptures, and that is repetition. Repetition. Someone once said, quote, repetition of the same thought or physical action develops into a habit, which, repeated frequently enough, becomes an automatic reflex, end quote. And I think there's some truth in that. So let me ask you as we begin, what reflex do you have when it comes to joy? What's your reflex? Or is the reflex of your soul to circumstances of life that would be characterized, would it be characterized rather, as joy-filled? If I, if I ask those closest to you, your spouse or your siblings or coworkers, would they say of you, oh yeah, Jim is such a joyful person when things break down. Or when the, when the deal doesn't go through, man, Bob is on top of the world, joy-filled. Susie, man, when, when, when everything is, is, is a mess in the home, she's your joy-filled sister, let me tell you. Is that what people say of you, say of me? Are you joy-filled to be reminded of things you already know? How about that? You already know the facts. You already know the truth. You already know how you should be responding. And then somebody reminds you, how does the joy quotient fit there? Are you high on it or is it rather low? And what would be the, the, the response of those I asked who were kind enough to remind you of the things you needed to be reminded of? Where's the joy there? We'll endeavor to answer these as we look at three things in, the pa- in, our, in our passage this morning in Philippians 3.1. Um, and you'll see them there in your notes. We're going to look at the practice of a joyful proclaimer. Secondly, we're going to look at the practice of a joyful professor. And thirdly, we're going to look at the perseverance of a joyful pupil. So let's unpack these as we go. The first one in your notes there, the practice of a joyful proclaimer. The practice of a joyful proclaimer. Paul writes here in our text, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, there's a little footnote that I want to bring to your attention here. The, the word finally, this is there for you note takers, finally is used as a transition, as a transition. Notice in the book, there are how many chapters in Philippians? Four four chapters in Philippians, and he's on the first verse of chapter three, which means he is only halfway there. And he says, finally. Now, I I was, um, years ago, I was listening to um, one of J. Vernon McGee's broadcasts. His dear saint, anybody heard of, all over the place, then you you know that that characteristic Southern drawl. I love it. This this brother grew up in, in Texas, moved to Tennessee when he's 14, then God calls him to a church in LA, in LA of all places, California with that draw. Can you imagine that today? Anyway, that's a topic for another time. So um, he, was, he was speaking at a pastor's event. His, his wife was accompanying him and, um, and he comes to this place where he, he brings his particular finally. He says, now in conclusion or, or finally, and um, when he got done speaking, he sat down and his wife leans over and says, honey, you said finally 15 minutes ago. And he says, sweetheart, I'm just being scriptural. 
And maybe you've run into this before where pastors will say, now, let me tell you one more thing. Is that the last thing? Do this. No, no you've been there, right? I've heard it often described as um, touch and go. In the military, they practice these, these maneuvers as pilots. They come in, and it looks like they're coming for a landing, and they touch, and they, and they take off again. And pastors will, are, are prone to do this. Have you, anybody been in a service? I'm getting some nods here. You've been in a service. Pastor looks like he's coming in for a landing, and nope, that was just the introduction. You're like, oh my goodness, land the plane. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. So finally, doesn't really mean finally... What he's doing is he's pivoting, he's turning. He's, he's gonna be talking about a few things in, uh, in greater detail. So Paul, in transitioning, says, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, first, and I don't want you to miss this, so this is in your notes. The first thing that I want us to see in this first point is joy is key to this letter and is a primary theme throughout. So for you note takers, joy is key to this letter and a primary theme throughout. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna take you through just the first couple of chapters of Philippians, just so that you can see the, the repetition that Paul is going through here with this theme. So go all the way back to Philippians chapter one, <clears throat> and we're looking at verse, verses three through five. So Philippians chapter one, look at verses three through five. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayers, here it is, with what? Joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Jump ahead uh, a little bit further, look at verses 18 through 19. Verses 18 through 19. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I, here it is again, rejoice. Yes, and I will, there again, rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It's just a footnote here, we're gonna come back again, but he's writing from jail as he's writing this. I rejoice in this. Jump down to verse 25. Chapter one, verse 25, he writes, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith. There it is, your progress and joy, your progress and joy. Guys, he's saying, I know that it's so much better to be with the Lord. That's where I wanna be. If you're asking me, hey, where would you rather be today, Paul? Paul's saying, yes, I wanna be with the Lord, but for your joy, I choose to stay here. Huh, it's not just about his joy, it's about your joy. Just, that's a pause right there, isn't it? That's a sermon of itself. Are you delighted in seeing the joy in your brothers and sisters? Well, he's not finished with this theme of joy. Look at chapter two, verse two. Chapter two, verse two, let's back it up to verse one. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, those are rhetorical, right? If there are any, are there? Is there, is there any encouragement in Christ? If there is, say amen. amen. Some of you believe that, others of you are coming up. Okay, do you believe that there's any comfort from love? Say amen. amen. 
Okay? Is there any participation in the Spirit? Say amen. 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 Yes. Is there any affection and sympathy? Amen. Yes. Then, watch this, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. But he's not finished. Jump down to chapter 2, verse 17. And we're going to come back to this. Um, Chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Paul writes, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and, here it is again, rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Wow. Are you catching the theme yet, brothers and sisters? One more. Let's look at verses 28 through 30. Now he's talking about Epaphroditus here. Paul writes, I am the more eager to send him, that is Epaphroditus, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Brothers and sisters, clearly, and this is what I I don't want to belabor the point, but what I want you to see in this letter is that a central theme in it is the theme of joy. The second thing in this point that I want us to look at is that joy is commanded. It's commanded. Please don't miss this. Several times Paul has already referenced this, um, and we just read it. If you go back to verses 17 and 18, he says in verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is so fascinating, brothers and sisters. In fact, it tells us a few things, I think. Happy is a word that was coined in the late 14th century. If, you, if you're into like word origins, you, the, praise God for technology. You can type in um, the word etymology in um, the, the, the Google search bar, and it will bring up lots of different sites that you can go to. And, um, and I encourage you to do that. Like, where does that word come from? This is, this is fascinating. The word happy is a 14th century term, and it comes from the word hap, meaning chance, or fortune, literally meaning, here it is, quote, lucky, favored by fortune, being in in advantageous circumstances, prosperous, end quote. So where happiness is more of an emotion linked to events that are temporal, they're here one minute, gone the next. Biblical joy is more of an attitude linked to, don't miss this, a relationship a relationship, or um, one commentator, John MacArthur, calls it a supernatural emotion. Biblical joy is more of an attitude or a supernatural emotion linked to a relationship. The Greek word that's used here is tr- transla- that's translated rejoice means to be glad, to be well, or don't miss this, to thrive, to thrive. True thriving brothers and sisters. True living is only in relationship with Christ. Jesus Christ himself said in John 10.10, jot it down, I'll read it to you. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it how? Abundantly or to the full. Perhaps if you and I are just having a cup of coffee in, in a local diner and, and we're off to the corner and we're just sharing life with one another and you say, Eddie, I don't feel like I'm thriving. You would have to be honest with me and say, then there's probably not a whole lot of joy, which means perhaps, perhaps you're not abiding in Christ, the only one who can cause you to thrive and have true everlasting joy. As has been alluded to already, and Paul is going to speak directly to in the following verses of chapter 3, this gladness, this thriving that we see in Scripture in Christ is not contingent on external circumstances. Paul is, after all, we already said this, modeling for them how to live, even as he writes this, from jail. And he says, rejoice. I'm rejoicing. You should rejoice. Epaphroditus came, was sent by you Philippians. You who are among the poorest of the poor in the Roman Empire, looking for ways to partner with me in ministry. And I love this about this, these dear brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, they don't have anything. And that they're pleading with Paul, please let us be a part of your ministry, Paul. And then on top of not having anything, check this out. These dear brothers and sisters in Christ gather up as much money as they can that they don't really have to spend, but they want to partner with the work of ministry in Christ that Paul is doing. And then they send their brother Epaphroditus to them, to Paul, with this, these monies, and then Epaphroditus almost dies. And now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to them from jail he's writing this, saying, he's alive, rejoice with me, even as I rejoice with you. And I read through that and I start getting a little uneasy because you know what I've been doing for the past, say, oh, I don't know, 18 months or so, not being as joy-filled as I ought to be. But you don't understand, Paul. They're making us wear masks. He's in jail. But you understand they're talking about having to you know, close down the schools and lock up. And How many times has he been beaten for the gospel? And he says, rejoice. This is to your account. And I'm starting to feel real small. And perhaps this is just misery loving company why I'm sharing this with you because I want you to feel small with me. <laughs> But I don't think I have to work hard because you know what? As we're reading through this, there are all of us, we, we reach those moments where I realize I am just not as joy-filled as I ought to be. I'm so focused on my temporal circumstances that I've forgotten the joy that is mine in the Lord. And here, don't miss this. This is where our application is starting to, we're, 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 we're coming into it, to, to, our, to the landing of our first point. While he's clearly made this plain here in chapter three, verse one Paul adds for the first time in words the sphere in which true joy is found. Don't miss this. Up to this point, in the verses that we've read through chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see joy, we see rejoicing, rejoice with me, I'm rejoicing with you, though he's alluded to it. 
Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Galatians 2, 22 through 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. And while there are counterfeits out there, true joy, true joy is a manifestation of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Joy is found only through Jesus Christ as he writes, our Lord, our Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, he says. Don't miss this. Joy is wrapped in salvation. Joy is wrapped in salvation, brothers and sisters. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, if you've not had joy, you need to come back to the root of salvation, Jesus Christ. Maybe you've forgotten that. Now, this is where I wanna, I wanna zoom in here to a, a, just a very simple application. Do you have the practice, of joy, uh, uh, the practice of a joyful proclaimer? Paul did. Paul was on mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was his mission. And we've heard countless sermons on this if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, right? That, that there Jesus is. He's on the mountain with the followers and he's resurrected. And he says, now, therefore, go. Why? Because all authority has been given to me. And if I have all the authority, then I have the authority to tell you to go. And what? Make disciples. Wahoo! Everybody. All nations baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you. And Paul said, okay, I got it, and I'm going. And this is your mission and my mission. When's the last time you've proclaimed? Proclaim the joy that can only be found in Christ. Folks, if there is a time where we need joy in America, it's today if there's a people group that need joy, it's Americans. Have you looked? How many have been online and see a lack of joy? Man, do people see the joy of the Lord in you? What steals your joy? Here's my question. What steals your joy? Two things that I want to just highlight and then we'll move on. One reason we lose our joy is because we allow the circumstances of life to dictate the attitudes of our heart. We do. In fact, as you read through Paul's letter here, we find that the focal point of his joy is rooted in that which is eternal, not what is temporal. After all, he says, rejoice in the Lord, right? That's where our joy is found. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul is not oblivious to their plight in poverty. He knows it very well. Paul's not oblivious to his surroundings. He knows he's in jail. And yet he still focuses on the Lord and encourages his listeners, extended through the centuries to you and me, to say, stop focusing on that which is temporal and look at what is eternal. Remember that your joy is found in Christ alone. How can he be so joy-filled when he tells his listeners that he's learned to be content in all circumstances, all situations? Remember, you fast forward this, again, very familiar book to us there in, in Philippians 4, 10 through 20, right? He says he's learned the secret of contentment, right? 
I, I know what it's like to have lots. I know what it's like to have little. I can do all things. How? Through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's where it's at. It's in Christ, that which is eternal. Have you allowed present circumstances to rob you of joy? Then I would say, you need to find your joy in the Lord. I would say to you, I would encourage you with, with great humility, dear brother, dear sister, to maybe say the same thing that David said. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in your circumstances. No! Hope in the pay raise. No! Hope in the next election. No! Hope in the Lord! Hope in the Lord! For I shall again praise Him, my salvation. Folks, I, 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 it is not lost on me that you've heard messages like this before, but as I look about, I just get an impression upon me by the Lord that we need to be reminded of our joy because I think we're allowing our joy to be robbed. There should be a drastic difference between the people of God through Jesus Christ and the rest of the world and everybody looking on us saying, that's weird and I want it. Joy that is eternally Yours. Now, I want to, I want to take a, a moment here, just as an aside, because some people may feel like you're, I'm beating up on you, and, and I, don't, I don't want to convey that. So hold your hand there in Philippians, and go back to the Gospel of John real quick. John, chapter 16. So here, here we are. Um, Jesus is um, in the upper room. We are, are nearing the, um, the, the high priestly prayer. He's speaking with the, the apostles. And there in John 16, Jesus is not pulling punches. He's acknowledging that there's going to be sorrow in life, right? And, and praise God. that he, we're, we're, this is, there's, there's no lie. I, I love the fact of the scriptures. This is one of, one of the things that attests to its truthfulness that we can trust what it says, right? It doesn't gloss over the facts that, that life is hard. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, what? Of overcome the world, that's right. So, so here he is, in, in 22, he says, well, let's back it up just a little bit. He says, when a woman is giving birth, this is verse 21 of chapter 16, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. All moms resonate with this. You get it. Um, dads, even if you were up for the 48 hours before the birth, you still don't get it. Maybe if you had a kidney stone, you get it. At least that's what I've heard. I hope I never know. <laughs> But here he is, and he's saying, he said, look, moms, I know you get it. I, you, 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 that's pain, and you're wrestling through that. But man, when you're holding that little bologna loaf in your arms, ah, oh, it just, everything passes away. And, and there are tears of joy. And wait a minute, you were just screaming in agony, and now you're just tears of joy, and you're, you're just, oh, this is so beautiful. And you're right to do so. You're right to do so. Look what he says, verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, 
and your hearts will, watch this, rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Isn't that good news? Nobody can take your joy from you. No one. Why? What's he, what, what is he talking about here? He's talking about your salvation. Nobody can steal that. Nobody can take that from you. It's yours. Now, does this gloss over the sorrow? No, of course not. He's already telling us that it's going to be hard. And in fact, Paul tells us the same thing. Now turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, or sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I, I love this because there's, there's no glossing it over. Because you would say to me, you say, Eddie, you're talking about this joy. I feel like I'm being beaten up. I'm going through some real hard stuff. Like, I understand that, that, that there are people that, that, that cry wolf over a hangnail. I get that. But, but there's hard things that I'm going through in life. And you know what, brothers and sisters? Rather than being Mr. Fix-It, which sometimes, admittedly, guys can get into that habit, but gals can too. And in truth, what we need to be doing is just listening. What we need to be doing is weeping with our brothers and sisters in Christ when they share the burdens on their heart. You don't understand what's happening. This dear person I've been praying for, they're, they're struggling with this illness. It's wrecking the whole family, Eddie. And I sit there crying. You don't understand, Eddie. My, 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 my spouse, is, they've left me. Because I've been on the front porch of a brother who found out his wife cheated on him and I wept with him. I get that life is hard. I get it. And you know what? So does Paul. Paul gets it. Look, look at it with me. Starting in verse three. Blessed be, this is, this is awesome, right? This is how he begins. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That's the kind of God I need in this world, a God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able, here it is, to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. This is talking about living in Christ, taking, talking about suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about the, the, the things that happen necessarily in life, although that's included. We comfort those knowing that, that yeah, I've been through that. Why am I going through this? Well, you're going to be a comfort to that person right around the corner that you don't know yet needs to know it, needs to know that God will walk with them every step of the way. Look at verse 7. Our hope for you is unshaken. Why is it unshaken, Paul? For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we, here it is, despaired of life itself. 
There are times, brothers and sisters, where you're going to despair even of life itself. It, the valley will go so low, and you thought it wouldn't go lower until you get that word. You find out that news, and it got that much lower. But the story doesn't stop there. Look at what Paul says. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely, here it is, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Dear brother or sister, if you are despairing of life, you're in this room, you're watching online, perhaps in God's divine providence, he's bringing you to the end of yourself to teach you that you can't intellectually work your way out of this one. You can't physically work your way out of this one. You can't emotionally work your way out of this one. You must depend fully you must rely wholeheartedly on God himself. And I'll bet that there are saints in this room where you have this story. God brought you to the end. I don't know what the circumstance is. For some of you, I know what that circumstance is. And it's a bit, been at various stages and in various levels. But God brought you to that place to that lowest of the low, until you said, Father, I give up. I can't. I just can't anymore. But you can. And then he started working. And the peace that surpasses all understanding ruled in your hearts and minds. Because with thanksgiving, you were pouring out your heart to the Lord. And then guess what God did? He brought into your life somebody else who needed the same thing. As one that has been there in the past several years and done that, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm just telling you, not that I'm a people watcher, but I watch people and I see how they're walking in their, in their walk. And I've actually had words to two brothers or sisters to say, I'm begging you for my sake, don't give up. Keep fighting. Walk the walk. Walk worthy of the gospel to which you've been called. And in that, brothers and sisters, I am receiving comfort. Because as I see you keep your eyes on Christ, my attention is drawn to the same one who gives me joy, even in the midst of the circumstance. We say it all the time, brothers and sisters, this too shall, do you believe that? Does your life reflect that? Do we see the joy of the Lord and your hope being in Christ? Not on the things. Listen, it doesn't minimize the heartache. But I would argue with you, brothers and sisters, this is yet one more reason why the community of saints is so vital and important to your soul.
If you are not living in community, just a little, little uh, uh, public service announcement, a little PSA. This is why you need to be fellowshipping with brothers and sisters. This is why you need to be engaged in a Sunday school class. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I'm saying, if you, how else do you do the one another's? How else can you love one another, encourage one another, build one another up? How, do the, how does all of that happen unless you're living in community? For your own soul's sake, I would just encourage you, as you look at the temporal circumstances of life and as they come, please take advantage of that which God has prepared for you, and that is the bride, to be comforted. Not only that, but another reason why we lose our joy, brothers and sisters, thank you for your patience, is sin. It's sin. If you are abiding in Christ, John 15, then thriving this thriving life, this joy-filled, fruit-of-the-spirit life is going to be evident. It's going to be evident to everybody. But if you buy the lie of the devil and likewise question, did God really say? Rather than standing on the promises of God, if you live according to the wisdom of this age rather than the truth of God's word, you can expect no thriving. You can expect no joy. I, don't, I was talking about this with my family. We were discussing this. I, I, I am amazed sometimes when I read through Scripture, I forget that, there, that there's a time lapse from passages to passages, right? Like, how many think that, like, as soon as Bathsheba, you have to remind yourself, as soon as David sinned with Bathsheba, like, the next day, Nathan's at his door. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa where do you get that idea? We're... we're, we're Nine months gestation, right? <laughs> and then you got to get beyond that to like now it's a, a little baby and, and he's praying for his kid and, and like there's time that has elapsed. So he's been wallowing in his sin for a while before Nathan knocks on the door and says, you're the man, Dave. Whew. But oh, does he hear? Oh, is he convicted? Oh, does he turn? Listen to this familiar passage, Psalm 51, 12. Restore to me what? The joy of, my, of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Is Christ enthroned in your heart, dear brother, dear sister? Is that a reality in your life? If I were to listen to your language, does your language tell me that you're walking with Christ or walking with sailors? No offense to sailors, but you get the idea. If we're to sit down and watch things with you, is this something that I would be excited about? How about Christ? Is he excited? Or is, is this where, you know, the, the psalmist writes, I will put no vile thing before my eye, and the Spirit's been saying this to you for a while. You need to turn that off. Now. Because it's killing your soul. This is where I reside now, and I don't want that filth where I'm living. About your actions, the things that you do or don't do, as the case may be. In all of this, do your words, thoughts, actions prove that Jesus is the object of your worship? Do you die moment by moment to the flesh, live unto Christ, or is sin robbing you of the joy that should be yours? Then I plead with you, confess your sin and repent. Abide and walk in Christ. If you are a proclaimer of salvation through faith in Christ, 
This is our practice. It's what we're known for. This is how we rejoice in the Lord. And this, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is what we proclaim. And that's what Paul is doing here in Philippians 3.1. He is proclaiming joy in the Lord. But not just that, and I'll move quickly. Two, not only the practice of a joyful proclaimer do we see in this verse, but we also see the patience of a joyful professor. Paul writes, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me. In your notes, repetition is seen throughout Scripture. Repetition is seen throughout Scripture. In general terms, we see this in Genesis 1, right? We see evening and morning was the first day, second day. We see that over and over and over again. There's a sermon right there. To, to Israel, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, the Ten Commandments are given, but then we see repetition. It's repeated again to the next generation in Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 21. To the Galatians in Galatians 1, 8 through 9, those preaching a false, false gospel are cursed. And then he says, let me say it again. In this very book that we're reading, he says the same thing, rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. From Genesis to Revelation, repetition carries with it the weight of importance. It establishes patterns, right? It calls attention to a particular motif or teaching and so on. So when we read the Bible, it takes careful reading in its context to catch some of the more nuanced examples of repetition. The parallelisms that we may find in the Psalms, for example, or synonymous parables that Jesus told as recorded by the gospel authors. Now, where am I going with this? How many would agree that every word of Scripture is purposed to be there? Would, would you agree with that? Okay, amen. Of course it is. And ultimately, it drives home the story of redemption. Over and over, we see played out the holiness of God, man's sinfulness, God's love toward rebellious mankind. And here in your notes, here it is, God himself models the patience of repetition. We're going through this um, in, in my discipleship group and finished up the Old Testament. And there is one resounding theme that, that critics of the Bible and of Christianity, I think, miss simply because they haven't read the Bible. The extreme patience and mercy that God has on humanity. Can I get a witness? I mean, have you read that? How many times does it take for Israel to mess up? Before, I mean, no wonder God says to Moses, you know what, Moses, forget it. I'm starting over with you. We're going to wipe them all off. There's more going on there. There's a test going on, right? But I, I mean, there are times where, I, let's face it, you and I, same thing. We're driving behind that guy in traffic. And we're like, really? Are, seriously? You're still there? Like, just go back to driving school. Or better yet, don't drive. Uh, we'll come to that. That's coming. <laughs> we'll come to that. But... What I don't want you to miss is the extreme mercy and grace of our God repeated over and over in the story of redemption that we read in the scriptures. Don't miss that. Time and again throughout the gospels, we see the master teacher, Jesus himself, teaching the disciples, patiently bearing with them in their stubbornness and their faithlessness, teaching them over and over and over again. Then, like a patient professor, here's Paul, explains that for him, likewise, it's no trouble for him to do the same. His position as an apostle, but even as once called to disciple as we, as one who is called to disciple as we are, is that loving patience toward those whom he's investing with this sober realization. Repetition 
is important. There in your notes. Repetition is important. You see, Paul is not turned off by what they think. There's no fear of man. Oh, man, what are they going to think about me? What if they think I'm nagging? There's none of that. Nor does he play lazy. Well, you know what? I have better things to do. I told them once, that should be good enough. No, 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 not with Paul. No, instead, he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me. Interesting word, this word trouble. In the ESV, uh, it's trouble, or if you're reading from the King James, the word is grievous. But the New King James, I think, translate it better. The word is tedious. Tedious there, if you want to write that down in your notes. It literally means sluggish, slothful, backward. I think that NIV, the, the New King James, rather, has the better idea and rendering of what Paul is saying here. And let me explain to you with an illustration. How many of you have had a little one um, learning to tie their shoes? And when you needed to get out of the house and you said, okay, Johnny, or I'll just pick on Liam. Liam, it's, we, we got to go. Um, sorry, dude, you're the caboose. Um, Liam, you, you, uh, we got to get out of the house. Please tie your shoe. And, and you were looking at the, the, the clock. You, you looked at the, your watch. You're like, oh, my goodness. Is that the time? And rather than taking the time to patiently get down on your knees and say, come here. Let me, let's go over the, okay, take the, that, take the shoelace, right, and put it over. No, not that way. The other, no, that's it. No, instead of doing all that and going over the fundamentals of shoe tying, it was to you tedious. So you did what? You did it yourself. You're like, give, give that to me. I'll do it. What Paul's saying here is it's not tedious for me to go over the same stuff with you guys. Something as fundamental as rejoicing in the Lord, since that's where our joy comes from, it's okay. I'm good with teaching you again. Now, for some of you, the Spirit is working on you already because I would ask you a question. Do you consider discipleship tedious? Have you reached your limit when it comes to, ah, why do we have to go over this again? Is that the heart attitude of our Savior, of the Spirit? It certainly isn't a Paul as he models this for us. Guys, it's okay. I don't mind going over this material one more time. How do you view the role of discipleship? That's the question. That's our application question for this point. W would your household think that you think it's too tedious? Perhaps you need to repent then of having too much busyness in your life. Maybe you need to create some more margin. Remember, I told you that bruised feet all over. I, I get it. Maybe you need to say, no, that's, that's not as important as this over here. Because I don't want to have to say, I just don't have time for you. Although we wouldn't say that, but that's what we mean. I don't have time for you. So you're going to have to deal with it yourself. Ooh, I don't get that spirit here from Paul. I don't think that's what we're saying, that what we're supposed to be gleaning from this passage so seriously, are you too busy to do what our Savior commands us to be busy about? Making disciples of all nations. That's the question. Or maybe you have the wrong heart attitude. You're simply not patient, right? 
This is an attribute of love, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's also a fruit of the Spirit. And you simply need to cry out to God for the long-suffering of Jesus to work through you, just like the Apostle Paul. Oh, Lord, I am not patient like I need to be. I consider things too tedious. Guys, look, at, at the end of the day, there is no excuse that's going to hold up in the court of the Lord. I, I'm not, for the Christian, I, I'm not talking about judgment. That, I, I, what I'm talking about is the, the, the judgment that, that where all of our, our works are weighed out. The things that are of eternal, those last. The things that are, that are not, hay and stubble, burned up, right? How many jewels will you have left? And when it comes to this, perhaps not so many because you've allowed the tedium to overrule rather than looking at it as joy. It's joy. Be joyful. I'm joyful wanting to teach you is what Paul would say. And that's where we need to be. Yeah, but you don't know, Eddie. And I don't need to know. I know this, that this is what we've been called to and it's a joy. So maybe, just maybe, there are things crowding out in your life that ought not to be there that are robbing your joy. And what you need to do is repent of that and turn. Confess that to the Lord. Say the same thing as the Lord says about those things so that first things can be first. Well, finally, we not only see the practice of a joyful proclaimer and the patience of a joyful professor, both of which we should have in our lives, but finally in this passage, we see the perseverance of a joyful pupil, a joyful pupil. Paul writes, to write the same things to you there at the end is safe for you. Now, listen, let me go into the weeds just a little bit on this last point. Theologians point out that Paul's repetition of warning is what the apostle is referring to here. In other words, the warning itself, he doesn't mind warning them again. He's hinted at situations that he's battled, but now he's about to move into chapter 3 into these, these warnings in no uncertain terms. In fact, look at it with me there in, in Philippians 3 um, from, from 2 on. He says, look out. Depending on which translation you have, he says, look out, look out, look out, like three different times. Or beware, 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 Right? Some think this also may refer to a previous letter, though it's more likely that what he's, what he's alluding to is what he's already discussed in, verse, in chapters 1 through, through 2. Another position that theologians take regarding this that I think also has merit is that Paul is referring specifically to the theme of joy itself. Now, we unpacked this already, didn't we? We saw how many times joy is repeated over and over and over again. Be joyful. I'm joyful. Rejoice, right? And th this is what we choose, the, the reminder of choosing it over and above the circumstances. That is a safeguard for our souls to be joy-filled, to remember that joy is in the Lord. And that guards our hearts. And honestly, I don't think you have to choose between the two of these. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be tedious for us to warn people of danger ahead, right? It's, it's, it's like the, 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 the two pastors that were standing on the side of the road with signs that said, the end is near, danger ahead. And the, and the, and the, 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 the 
convertible comes whizzing around the corner and sees it and yells out, get off the road, you nutheads. And one pastor turns to the other and says, do you think we ought to tell them the road is out? Um, it's more than just holding up a sign. It's living life, being engaged in people's lives and saying, look, true joy is going to be found here as well as warning of danger ahead. Well, here's the deal. Repetition provides a safeguard to the listeners. And this is what I don't want you to miss. It's there in your notes. Repetition provides a safeguard to the listeners lest they forget something is important. I don't want you to miss this. Whether it's the repetition of beware, 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 or the repetition of be joy-filled, rejoice in the Lord. I'm gonna say it one more time, rejoice. There have been times in my life when, while driving at my usual comfortable velocity down the highway, generally nearing the end of a trip or drawing close to a destination, that we see to the side of the road a sign indicating that the state of Virginia has identified um, a particular maximum safe speed. I'm sure you've been there. I'm sure you will be there on the way home. It's at this point that I am reminded by, usually by my much better half, uh, Rachel, uh, what the speed limit is. Eddie, it's and whatever the speed limit is. Um, now, it's at this point that I have several different options. Okay, at the moment she says, Eddie, speed limit's 55. Eddie, speed limit's 40. We just passed the dealership right there. She's going out to the now, you may wish to guess which of the options out there that I choose. I'll make it easy for you and cut to the chase. Let me give you two. Um, and uh, many don't like this sort of scenario for several reasons. One, I want to get from point A to point B. Um, I want to get from point A to point B faster than the posted speed limit allows. Now, the words, the phrase, making good time, how many have heard that before? Right. This is just a euphemism for breaking the law. Okay, I said it. I said it. There it is. Okay. And what grated on my nerves, and perhaps yours if you found yourself in a similar circumstance, is the fact that I don't like being told I'm wrong. I don't like it. Worse, in my heart, if you really want to get an inside scoop, I'm saying, duh, that's why I'm speeding. Trying to get there. Now, I know you're like, you do not say, oh, yes, I do. And perhaps you're laughing because you've been there, done that. But here's the deal. And this is the part that I don't like and you're not going to like, but here we go. What do we call that? What do we call it? When you see the law, the law says thus, but you say, I don't want to do what the law says. I'm going to do this. We call it rebellion. Rebellion is rooted in pride, and pride is what? Sin. There it is, brothers and sisters. I am choosing to sin with my whole family in the car, getting from A to B because I am making good time. You know who you are. Or option two. I'm in the same said car, going from the same said point A to point B, 
faster than the posted speed limit allows, but because I was focused on something else, I was not paying attention to the said sign and to my velocity because I was doing something else. I was talking to the kids, I was daydreaming, I'm messing with the radio, finding the, the station that I want, whatever it is, and then comes, Eddie, it's 55, and I don't like being told because I don't want to appear out of control. Guys have to be in control. I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me I'm going 55. I know what. And that heart attitude is rooted in pride, which is rooted in sin. And here we are again. Now, in both cases, I'm not walking in Christ. And if you were to ask me in the moment, Eddie, are you joy-filled? I would have to be honest with you and say, no, I'm not. I am not joy-filled. There is not joy on my face nor in my heart. I'm sure there are a few other reasons, but by and large, we don't like being told again, ultimately because of our pride. And this is the point that I'm trying to make in this last point. Just hang with me. We don't like repetition, folks, because we're prideful. I already know that, we say. I don't need a show of hands. I can ask your spouse. Does your spouse say, I know that, honey. You know who you are. Why are you doing that? I know you why I'm doing that. Because I'm prideful. I don't want to be told again. We're trying to unpack this, brothers and sisters, and ask why we do the things that we do. If we're going to be more like Christ, then we better start doing more of that. Because I'll tell you one thing. When we say, oh, when you come to Christ, you'll have joy. You mean the joy that you have when you're driving? Thanks, I don't need that. You mean the same kind of joy when you got bad news the last week, when your proposal got rejected, or when you, when you, you, know, you, you flubbed in that thing? That kind of joy, that's the joy you're talking about. I don't need that kind of joy, thanks. No, what we need to do is what we don't want to do, but we should do, and by God's grace, we will be able to do, and that's lay our hearts before the Lord and say, as, Paul, as David did in Psalm 139, Lord, anything that's wicked and evil and wrong inside me, please reveal that to me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Because you're the only one that can. And all of life, all of life, it's all about you and the fame of your name. And I want people to talk about Jesus when they see me. I think sometimes we get too lazy. Time and again, we either, we, we ignore being told again because we're lazy. And we like our sin. Or we get frustrated and bitter because we're too prideful to admit that we're, we're wrong. And all the time, it's, as Paul says, it's safe for you. It's safe for me to be told. I just confess, it's selfishness. It's selfishness when I'm driving down the road and I don't care that my wife is concerned next to me. I just want to get from A to B. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I don't know whatever it is. And, and here's, the, here's the danger. When, I start, when, a, when, a, when a preacher, when a pastor starts naming sins, we have the tendency to say, oh, he didn't name my sin, so I'm okay. Wrong. You know what the Spirit's tapping you on the shoulder about, Right? Oh, this is where I need to be. This is where I see a lack of joy in my life, Lord. I need to confess that to you right there. The thing that I don't want to know. I don't want people to know. 
Even though they know, because I'm obviously not joy-filled. And I, I just want to confess that to you, brothers and sisters. I want to be transparent with you, because guess what? If the pastor can't be transparent, how can he expect you to be transparent? This is who we are. We're broken people saved by God's grace. Every day being made more like Christ until the day when he returns and we embrace perfection forever. Anybody else looking forward to that? <laughs> I can't wait. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The Apostle John got it right. Well, all the time, it's safe for us to be told again and again and again. Now, in context, Paul is referring to what he alludes to earlier in chapter one and what he's about to warn them of in the following verses, but the principle remains the same for you and me today. So let me ask you an honest question needing an honest answer. Is there, is there anything in your life that God might be telling you again for which for him, because of his great love for you, isn't tedious for him to tell you again? You need to deal with that. This in your life. I don't know what that is, and I don't want to start naming things. But whatever it is, what is it that's stealing your joy in the Lord? And, and, you, and you need to confess that. Folks, look, at, let me let's just be honest. I don't want to pretend to make you think that when you walk out of here, you just need to be tiptoeing through the tulips. And, and that everything is going to be right as rain. No, I, I, and, and, and if you heard that, then I'd be selling you something. And what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm encouraging you to do is to take even just that first initial step. The long journey doesn't begin until you take that first step. So whatever that step is to that thing that the Lord is saying, right there, stealing the joy that I have for you. Confess that, repent of that. You've got to take that first step. I've been nursing this for a long time. I get it. I promise I do. And better than I get it, he gets it. And he will empower you through his spirit to day by day by day, moment by moment by moment, to have victory in that. And I've got good news for those of you who say, but what if I mess up? He's accounted for that already. I will bring you back to the same beautiful passage that Pastor Danny gave us in, in Romans chapter eight. Nothing in all creation, not even your sin, can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo, that's joy. So let's start now. Let's start now, let's draw the line in the sand. Folks, you know it's coming in America. It's happening all around the world. We read through the gospels and we see Jesus saying, just look at the signs and you're gonna tell it. They're like labor pains. They're getting closer together and they're getting bigger. It's coming. You know it's coming. So how will you face the future and represent your savior? I'll tell you how, because we've been commanded to it. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. To say the same thing, it's not tedious for me, and it's a safeguard for you. This is what we've been called to, brothers and sisters, to have the practice of a proclaimer, to proclaim joy in the Lord through salvation in Christ, to practice the patience of a professor. Who in your lives needs that, that calm, patient teaching, but they're not getting it? Be patient. You didn't get it right away either. 
and to have the perseverance of a pupil, I need to receive that again. Hey, if I get it wrong, will you remind me? Sweetheart, if I speed on the way home, will you remind me? I praise God that I get to live life with you, my brothers and sisters. I praise God that you can encourage me in my joy. Because you're going to find Eddie sometimes isn't so joy-filled. And, 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 and things happen. They happen fast, right? Whether it's blowing out a bulb and we can't show things on the screen to that brother or sister that just needs a little extra bearing with. And you know what I'm talking about. But none of that should steal our joy in the Lord. And that's my encouragement for you. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer? Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.